Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. Today, we're going to be talking about the San Antonio Spurs offseason with a very special guest. We got independent writer Matthew Tynan, formerly of The Athletic. How are you doing, Matthew? I'm good, man. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm here talking to you. It's been a very exciting offseason. So if I don't know if that's a good thing or not, (laughs) I don't know if it's a good thing that you're talking to me, but we'll we'll find out. (laughs) Well, I'm excited. So Spurs fans have been clamoring for pop of the front office to make a move of any kind, whether that be on the trade market or in free agency for the last couple of seasons now. And it looks like they're finally getting their wish with what's been a whirlwind of a free agency period thus far. San Antonio opened it up by signing Doug McDermott to a three-year $42 million deal within the first hour of free agency and followed that up by signing Zach Collins to a three-year $22 million deal less than an hour later. What are some of your first impressions of these signings and what do you think these players bring to the Spurs? Yeah, as you noted uh, from the start of this, uh, Brian Wright has let us know that, hey, our approach is going to be creating a versatile roster, obviously a young roster, uh, maintaining cap flexibility. They're looking at a long-term ceiling here. So everything they've done so far lines up with that. Uh, they've filled some voids. He's also mentioned they needed shooting and they needed shooting in a big, big way. They've, they have addressed that in certain areas. You mentioned McDermott is a, he's a three point shooter. You mentioned uh, Zach Collins. Uh, When he's healthy, he can stretch the floor. Uh, They bring in a guy like Jock Landale, who is a stretch big. And I, I, we may talk about him later, but they've fulfilled. I mean, you look at their draft picks, both shooters. So, they certainly went into this offseason looking for shooting and then on top of that, maintaining the approach that they outlined for us. Spurs fans are always going to want to go for the splash. They, they're tired after two decades plus of being spoiled with all these playoff appearances and the five titles and everything that is ve- it's very much an anomaly in the NBA. This is kind of what the real NBA is like. <laughs> and, and they're experiencing that firsthand. And right now the Spurs are in a situation where Timing-wise, going after the big fish isn't necessarily realistic because they need to look at it from a long-term perspective and not just let's throw a bunch of money and prospects at a guy and maybe we have a chance at a title. They're looking at this from a perspective of we're going to see what our our young guys can do now that they have bigger responsibility. We're going to maintain cap flexibility along the way. San Antonio is not necessarily a free agent destination, destination, so much like Oklahoma City has been doing the last few years, just building assets, building 
potential trade pieces or guys that just develop along the way into major players for, for the team, uh, they're taking a pretty similar approach. So given what they outlined for us at the start of all of this, they have pretty much followed that to a T. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, like you said, Brian writes that they want to build a roster that can both score inside, outside, positionless yep. basketball. I think they fulfilled that sort of statement that they said when they talked about doing that this offseason. Now, what, what do you think that we can expect from a guy like Doug McDermott and Zach Collins when they're healthy? Are they guys who are going to be major parts of the rotation? Are they starters? Are they backups? Like, what do you see from them in terms of how they could fit into the San Antonio roster, which, by the way, has a ton of players at the moment? A lot of players. Too many. I've like <laughs> lost track of everything that's going on. But um, but no, I can see McDermott actually as a guy who could start. I, I think that he's probably at this point, you have to at least consider that he's the projected at the number at the four spot. At least it's he's in that conversation as a projected starter. Uh, would not surprise me if he ends up being the starter at the four to start the season, considering what the what the Spurs lack in the front court. And also considering the type of skill set that he has that could absolutely add to what the Spurs lack in a big way with a lot of those that the guys that we project as being in the mix for that starting group. Zach Collins, you know, I think that's very much a wait and see thing. The guy is still recovering from injury. I, you know, I think that it would be probably unexpected to even see him at the very beginning of the season. It might, you know, they might have to wait a little bit to to see what he can provide on the court in the future. Collins, I wouldn't necessarily project as a starter, uh, especially in front of a guy like McDermott, but that's just for now. You know, he's a young guy who does have talent. You know, don't totally, I, you obviously have to acknowledge the injuries over the last two years, but beyond the injuries, he is a talented kid. The Spurs, Took a risk on him, but it's not even that big of a risk. $7 million annually is nothing in the NBA today. And you'd have to believe that given the injury history, uh, we don't know the specifics of the of the contract details yet, but you'd have to think that there is either A, potential, you know, potential non-guaranteed money, or B, it's an incentive-laden deal. So Regardless, I think the Spurs are taking a little gamble on a, on a big upside type of guy, not any sort of superstar or anything like that, but a, a dude who can certainly, if his talent plays out the way a lot of people saw it, it playing out, uh, it could be a really big steal for that price tag. But at this point, I think the McDermott is the guy when you look at all the free agents, all the signings, draft trades, what have you, I, I would say that McDermott is the guy that I would probably say has the leading edge in terms of being able to start at this point. Yeah, I would agree with you there. McDermott not only shot the ball really well, he's been a career, I believe, 40% three-point shooter, but he also finished in the top 10 percentile in cutters last season. In terms of points scored, he finished around 68% of his shots at the rim. So he's a guy who moves well without the ball, which is only going to be good for guys like DeJounte Murray, Derek White, Lonnie Walker, those guys who project to have a more on-ball role this season with DeMar DeRozan gone. And we'll get into DeMar DeRozan later. And as far as Collins, like, you know, there's a reason he went 10th overall in his draft. And unfortunately, you know, he's had three surgeries on the same foot in the last calendar year. Hopefully he does end up it's working out. It, it certainly is. Yeah. It certainly is. And so I hope he really works out, but I kind of want to move on to Jock Londale. Um, he's, he's interesting. I don't know if you got to catch him yesterday in the Australia USA basketball game. 
I watched him a little bit when he was at St. Mary's. I watched him a little bit when he was playing for Melbourne United, but I would love to get your opinion on him as a player. And do you think he has a chance to, you know, unseat Collins or, or Drew Eubanks really as like that backup center? Because I can't see him starting in the NBA. No, I can't see him starting, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that he, you know, I think right now the Spurs roster in a lot of different areas is kind of a free for all. Like there's, there are very few guys that you're like, this is the guy at this position for the long haul. Um, maybe with the exception of a guy like Jakob, I don't see anyone challenging him for the starting center spot at this point. You know that either DeJounte or Derek are going to be in the starting lineup, if not both of them. So there, but then the rest of it's all sort of a, Hey, who's, who's the best available, who fits the best in that starting unit unit together. But what Jock provides, uh, what Jock provides the Spurs is a, he's got international experience. The guy has, has, he's, he's accomplished what he needs to at that level uh, at overseas 25 years old, I believe, like the dude has been around. He has experience. Pop obviously very much values that. The Spurs as a whole value that. He offers a skill set that, the, again, the Spurs need. He's a guy that can stretch the floor, but at the same time, he's not just a perimeter guy. Like the, the dude can play inside and he's not a stiff. There are certain numbers that I think translate to the NBA, no matter what level of basketball you're talking about prior. And that would be uh, shooting because the, the hoop doesn't change sizes. It doesn't change heights. And then, and then rebound rates. And he is a really solid rebounder, which is an important thing, especially with the Spurs looking a lot smaller than they have in the past. They're going to need guys who can rebound. So I do think he has two valuable skill sets or his skill set is comprised of some valuable elements that the Spurs are going to, going to need. So the we talk about the backcourt being crowded, but right now on paper, unless they make other moves, the front court is pretty crowded too. It's getting there at least. I mean, talking about Thaddeus Young, who spent a lot of time at the five uh, with Chicago and clearly has played four in the past. And then Al Farouk Aminu, who's basically a four at this point in his career in the way the NBA is going. So, and you've, we've already talked about McDermott and Collins. So, and then there's Eubanks. He might actually <laughs> end up being the odd guy out again, but there's, there's a lot of competition on the Spurs roster right now. And I think, and they absolutely want it that way. But the thing that, but Jock provides, not only is he healthy, you know, we talk about the, the Collins angle, but the thing that he offers that those other guys don't is a consistent three-point shot. He's got size. He's 6'11", 250, 260. So he's, he's, uh, he's a big dude with a, a knack for grabbing rebounds, pretty decently athletic actually. So, you know, I think he is a guy with a skill set and experience level that certainly provides him an opportunity to make a, a, an impact with the team. But again, depth, competition, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I pretty much agree with you there as well. I mean, he played for Partizan, he played for Zalgris in the Euro Cup, the Euro League. So for people who just want to look and say, oh, well, he dominated the NBL, which is sort of a league that gets looked over, I think. It, you know, it produced a guy like LaMelo Ball, it produced a guy like um, RJ Hampton, even Josh Giddy this year. And I know the bigs in that league really aren't up to standard with the rest of what you see in Europe, like in the Liga ACB and the Turkish Super League. But it's a good league, and he's proven that he can be a really valuable player in those other leagues. So I like what he brings to the table. My concerns for him is he's not really going to be able to guard in space. But then again, there's not really that many backup level bigs who can guard in space. So that's not even really like a major concern for me. <laughs> I was going to say, if you're getting into that, like you're talking about guys who are 
typically going to be in starting lineups in the NBA. It's it's difficult to find those big dudes, especially at his size, who can guard in space. He'd probably be making more money if he could do that at this point. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, he definitely would be making more money if he could do that. He would probably be a starter. But let's move on to Bryn Forbes. We know that they signed Jock Landale. We don't have the specifics for how much money. And the same thing goes for Bryn Forbes. We don't know how long the deal is or how much he's going to cost. But we do know he's making a reunion with the San Antonio Spurs. And that made waves across the fan base. If you were on social media, I'm sure you saw it. There were plenty of people who were losing their minds over the Forbes signing. But I don't really think it's that big of a deal. I mean, what do you think of the signing? How will he play into their plans going into the next season? It seems a little confusing to me, but at the same time, I could see this just being a depth insurance move at this point, given what they know about Bryn Forbes. Yeah, that's likely what it is. It's a guy who knows the system. They need shooting. Still, they've added these shooters, but remember, they lost Rudy Gay and Patty Mills. Basically, they're two best three-point shooters from last season, so they still need shooting in the backcourt. Uh, like I said, Forbes knows the system. He, he knows San Antonio. It's probably a little bit more than just an insurance thing. I do feel as though they're going to look at Forbes as like, hey, this is another guy, another combo guard who can who is comfortable in a, a lot in, in a similar way to what Patty brought to him. He's not Patty Mills, but he's a guy who can handle the ball, get the team into sets. He's not a guy who's going to be initiating a lot of offense, but he's at least someone that they know because of, you know, what he's given them in the past. They know that he can get them into uh, the half court sets they like. And they also obviously know that he can be secondary offense off the ball. So, you know, it was a little bit confusing to me just to continue to add these pieces and the idea of bringing in a guy who has been there in the past, who knows the system. The idea of bringing him in simply to be insurance didn't quite sit with me. Like, if you're going to bring in a guy like that with his type of history with the Spurs, you kind of get the feeling that like, oh, no, this guy's probably going to be playing either that or or he's going to be playing. Potentially, the Spurs are making another move with some of these guards like and we'll see what happens I don't think it's going to be, if there are any more moves made with the Spurs, I don't think it's going to be much. It'll be minor stuff. But no, I do think that he's probably going to be more than just insurance because none of those guys, uh, especially when you're talking about DeJounte, Lonnie, Keldon, like these are guys who show flashes of being able to shoot the three, but it is far from consistent. And when you look at the the additions the Spurs have made, a lot of their shooting uh, if you're if we're kind of looking at Primo as a guy who's likely not going to play much at all this year in San Antonio, in San Antonio, at least, you know, Wieskamp, he's going to be another guy looking on from the outside, looking in and probably looking at more time in Austin than anything. So you're talking about them. They're going to need shooting in the backcourt. They're absolutely going to need it. So I think Bryn is just going to be able to come in and sort of seamlessly play a utility role. I don't see him as a major threat to any of the young guys minutes. Cause I know how Spurs <laughs> fans want their young guys to play. And I don't really think you're going to have to be too uh, scared off by Bryn Forbes's presence with this team. I think that he's a guy that you're looking at playing, you know, in the mid to high teens, if it even even gets to that point, like you're talking about a guy who's going to play some spot minutes, like maybe between the first and second quarter or first and second quarter, third and fourth quarter, or if he's hot, maybe he's going to be in there situationally for his shooting. So I do think that Forbes is just going to be mostly a utility guy, a situational guy. I don't think he's going to be someone who's going to drastically cut 
into the development and the minutes of, of the young core that the Spurs have right now. But I do think that he's going to be a contributor. I don't think they'd be bringing him in if they didn't plan on him being that. And if I could also offer just another idea that I, I don't really think that Brent Forbes is going to be less effective in San Antonio. Like when I think of his situation in San Antonio, when he was last in San Antonio with the Spurs, he played in a lot of lineups where he was playing alongside Marco Bellinelli, alongside Patty Mills. Sometimes all three of them were on the court at the same time. Great defense. He won't team. have that this year. He will not have that. No. So he's going to have, <laughs> he's going to have guys like DeJounte and guys like Derek and potentially Devin Vassell, Yaka Pertle, guys who can sort of mask his weaknesses. Now, I know it's hard to hide someone at this point in the NBA, but I don't really worry about how much his defensive deficiencies will hurt the team because I think there will be other guys who can sort of pick up the slack because I think they do have some good defenders on this team, really good defenders. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, that's one of the things when you're looking at the transition from, from Gay and DeRozan and Mills to the, to the young core you're expecting an upgrade defensively. You are. And, and some of these guys haven't totally shown that they're good defenders. Lonnie, you think the potential's there, but he just hasn't been a good defender for whatever reason that's, that is. He just hasn't been. So, And obviously guys like Vassell didn't get a ton of minutes. He clearly has deep defensive potential. That's obvious. Uh, Keldon has a big body. He can be physical with guys, with, with players, but at generally as a defender, uh, obviously still needs to show more as well. And, and I think that's more the defensive IQ side of things, much like Lonnie, much like, you know, just understanding the scheme in general, because God knows they have the athleticism to be good defenders. So, but I think you're right. I think that the deficiencies, especially on the defensive end that were so glaring uh, last time Bryn was in San Antonio. And as you mentioned, he played alongside two equally inefficient, <laughs> some equ equally inefficient uh, defenders. So I do think that that can be masked a little bit. I think they can hide him a little bit more. NBA teams are great at picking out the, the, the odd man out. So it'll still be an issue. It's not like, it, you know, Forbes is a defensive liability. That's just kind of who he is at this point. But, you know, you have to find a balancing act. And the Spurs need shooting. He can provide that. He already understands the system. He is... Now we'll see, we'll see how much of an on-ball type of guy he is. You know, is he going to be a guy that is that combo uh, sort of backup point type of player? Like I mentioned earlier, is he going to play something similar to that Patty role? I, I think that, that we could be looking at something in that regard. Or is he primarily going to be an off-the-ball defender? And this is going to be White and Murray and then maybe guys like Lonnie. It'll be interesting to see. I think it's going to be more of the former. I think that they're looking for a guy who can fill – give the Spurs some of the stuff that they're losing in Patty. That's just my general feeling at this point. And, uh, but yeah, we will see. There's a lot of crowding in that backcourt right now. So the minute allocation is going to be something to watch for sure. And, and we sort of talked about it earlier, but the front office continue to shake things up. They sent DeMar DeRozan in the sign-in trade to the Chicago Bulls for Thaddeus Young, Al Farouk Amino, and some draft compensation on Tuesday. What were your thoughts when you first saw Shams and Woj, you know, sort of announce those deals? And what do you think that move really like signals for this organization? Because clearly they no longer have that go-to score. I know that that's what everyone's hoping for from Derek, from DeJounte, but we don't have anybody who has proven it to the level that DeRozan has anymore. No, and the, I mean the Spurs may never may never have at least in, as the roster is presently constituted may never have that go-to scorer that DeRozan is. I mean he is legitimately one of the best you know offensive 
go-to scoring types in the league. So they're, they're going to be missing a lot. I mean, I think the biggest concern for the Spurs this year is going to be on the offensive end because they are going to have to have not just one player step up and become more of a go-to guy, but multiple. It's, it's going to be interesting to see. And it's got to really, honestly, it has to come from one of the young guys uh, if, or several of the young guys. This group is going to have to make a leap if they're going to be competitive, I think they're going to be a competitive team, but in terms of making that extra little jump where it's not like, Hey, we're sitting on the bubble of actually being on the play in bubble rather than, you know, being maybe a playoff (laughs) team, there's going to have to be a jump. But to your question, getting, you know, Mills, Gay and DeRozan all, uh, you know, leaving, whether it be a free agency or be a sign and trade signals that this is the direction the Spurs are going. I mean, they are handing the keys over to the young group. It is their turn to sink or swim. So, yeah, I mean, basically that was it. You, you, we kind of expected it. I think, I think there was a, a small possibility that maybe they, they would retain uh, DeRozan if something didn't work out for him because a, they didn't want to lose him for nothing. And B, they wanted to do right by DeRozan because if if they couldn't find a deal for DeRozan and DeRozan left, he wasn't going to have anywhere to go that would be worth, you know, there, there wasn't a team out there with cap space that was going to be even remotely close to challenging. So the best options for everyone involved was to move move along. And the writing was on the wall, especially as, as Patty and Gay left as well. It was, it, the signals were there. It was time to to hand the keys over and move on. So not, not really a big surprise at all. Yeah, I think, I think you're right about that. And then Adrian Rojanrasi, he, he kept the news coming. We learned that the Spurs were in a five-team team trade. Uh, I believe it was with the Lakers, Pacers, Nets, and Wizards. And they got Chandler Hutchinson in a 2022 second rounder for Washington. So they have another player. Do you know anything about Chandler Hutchinson? The only thing I know is that he went four picks after Lonnie and Lonnie's draft, and he hasn't really played in the NBA and since they picked up his team option before he was traded, he's on a guaranteed contract. So he's going to be on the roster if they don't cut him. He's, he's in the final year of his rookie deal. He, is, he hasn't shown that he's anything to write home about in the NBA. He's a solid, he's an okay defender, um, an okay rebounder. But beyond that, you know, he hasn't shown that he's a dependable shooter. He's been very up and down from the three-point line. I don't think that looking at his career so far, you can glean much from him in terms of like, hey, this guy's going to, the Spurs just got a contributor. Like, I just think that he's going to be one of these guys that is going to be filling out the back end of a roster and his contract is going to be expiring at the end of the year. You know, maybe I'm wrong, maybe coming into the Spurs system, something, you know, something comes out of him. He hasn't exactly been in the best situation so far in his career. Uh, in Chicago and Washington. So, you know, maybe there's, and he's still young. So maybe there's some element of his game that will grow more consistent uh, and he'll be a better, a greater contributor, especially on the offensive end. But at this point, he just hasn't shown much to, to indicate that he's going to be a major contributor, especially on a team that's already stocked with swingmen and backcourt players, which is what he is. And I, I think that he can play some small ball for, but again, that position is, is getting pretty crowded as well. I just, I, I just don't see a, a spot for him to play any, at least at this point, to be, you know, any sort of meaningful contributor to the Spurs roster going forward. 
But it, honestly, this is this is just all about the Spurs saying, "Hey, look, we're all, we're all in on this long term approach. Give us your contracts; we can take them. Give us a pick for nothing." I mean, they gave up Malutinov, but he <laughs> he's just he, you know obviously he hasn't been part of the Spurs plans and kind of doesn't seem like he's going to be. So, you know, essentially they're giving him they're getting a second round pick and the last year of a guy's contract, a cheap contract at that for a, giving just getting a second round pick for basically nothing. So at this point, the Spurs are just, like I said earlier, they're stockpiling assets. And um, that's, that's one way to do it. Just say, hey, we're available to take a phone call if you guys need to unload something to, <laughs> to like help facilitate this ridiculous trade that y'all are, that all you five teams are trying to make. So for all you other four teams are trying to make. So it's, uh, yeah, I don't think it's anything, anything much more than that. You know, them them trying to help facilitate a trade. Yeah. And, and Hutchinson was sort of an older rookie coming into the league. Like he was a four-year college player. I think this is his third season or it's going to be his fourth season. So guys who take that long to really find their footing in the NBA and are older, I feel like they lose their value pretty quickly in the NBA. So would you be surprised if he wasn't on the roster at all? Like if they cut him or do you, do you really think that he could be sort of just an end of the bench guy? I mean, I guess I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked if they bought him out. No, I think that you, you have to look at the, fact that he's got a guaranteed deal and they do have other options that could that you know where they don't have where they have either non-guaranteed contracts or partially guaranteed contracts if they need to cut down uh and they obviously are going to need to cut down but I just think there's sort of this glob of guys that that it's way too early to make any decision on you know who's going to be going uh who's going to be you know the odd men out so to speak so I think the Spurs are just going to wait and see what they have up until the time that they have to make these cuts. And, uh, but no, it wouldn't just because he has the guaranteed money. It's not some major hit. I would say that it's going to play a factor, but if they like a guy better than him and that other person is partially guaranteed or non-guaranteed, I don't think they would have any, any issues with, with letting Hutchison go, but the, the guaranteed money certainly plays a factor in all of that. And let's go ahead and talk about the roster because after all these moving parts, they've sort of got a really crowded roster just in general. As of right now, they have Josh Primo, who once he signs that rookie scale contract, he'll be on a guaranteed deal. But then you also got Devin Vassell, Trey Jones, Keldon Johnson, Luka Shamanich, Lonnie Collins, DeJounte, Jock. I mean, Jakob, Derek, Bryn, Doug, Al Farouk Aminu, Thaddeus Young, Chandler Hutchinson, all guys who project to be on NBA contracts. Plus you got Drew Eubanks, who's, Partially uh, guaranteed contract becomes fully guaranteed for the 21-2022 season if they don't waive him by the 19th. That's already 17 players on NBA contracts just right there, and they certainly have a few more guys that we haven't even talked about. Do you feel like there's still maybe a move? I know you kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but do you think there may be another move or two in here? And I know you said they wouldn't be significant, but certainly it feels like there has to be something done because you're right, they're either going to have to A, cut someone and just sort of eat that money or two, they're going to have to trade someone and make room elsewhere because they still have guys like Joe Wieskamp, uh, Keita Bates, Giop and Daquan Jeffries. So those are guys they have to make decisions on as well. It wouldn't surprise me if there was a, a small deal, just if anything, just uh, deals that consolidate and maybe bring in um, a piece that you, fill in the gaps, if you will, you know, if they, if they feel like, you know, we have too many uh, guards and swingmen, you know, 
wing players basically on the roster. Like let's take two of them and bring in another big or whatever it might be, just something to consolidate and fill in, plug in some gaps they may feel they have. But again, like I said, I, I don't see anything big other than moves that might be able to help consolidate what they already have. But it, that isn't guaranteed at all. I mean, they could just take this roster the way it is and then make the cuts when they need to. It's not like it's going to be some – this. it's not like any of this is going to be all that consequential, right? I mean, in the long run, no matter what they do, if it's a, if it's a small trade, if they decide to let some of these guys go really in the long run, it's just not going to be that consequential for them. These aren't guys that any of us – I mean, obviously, like Wieskamp, isn't going to be on that in that conversation, but you know, the rest of them at this point, I just can't see it being much more than if there is a small deal to be made, go for it. But other than that, you know, those guys are going to be free agents at some point and the Spurs aren't going to be facing, not really going to be uh, facing any consequences because of it, to be frank. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you that there really aren't that many consequences, especially when you get that far down the roster with those kind of guys. But you know, like I said, there are 17 NBA contract guys. You can only have 15 of them and two, two, uh, two, two way contract guys. You know, I think the candidates for that are easily Joe Wieskamp, Keita Bates job and Daquan Jeffries. Who's the odd man out of there? It kind of feels like Daquan Jeffries for me. I know he's part of their summer league team. I don't really think he's shown that much to be fair. It's only been a few summer league games, but it kind of feels like they like what they saw from Keita Bates job. I liked what I saw from him last year and Joe Wieskamp is their second round pick. So kind of feels like they want to get him into the system somehow. Yeah, if you're looking at those three, I think Jeffries is the odd man out. And I and for I think it's easy to see why. You just outline them. He and, and you know, it's one of those things where also uh with Summer League, it does give them a chance to look and see like, hey, is this guy making an impact? And if he's not, I know like you said, it's just Summer League, but for a lot of these guys, Summer League is a big deal. And for a lot of teams looking at players, Summer League is a big deal. So you can they already have they already have an idea of what they have uh, with Keita Bates Diop. They already, they're, they're going to be keeping Wieskamp. So we can probably put him, uh, if we're looking at those three, you can pretty much go down to two guys, uh, Keita Bates Diop and Jeffries. And I think that in this case, they know what they have in, in Keita Bates Diop and Jeffries is going to be the odd man out unless he makes, you know, unless in Vegas, he does some special things that really catch their eye. The Spurs have, have shown in the past that if players jump off the screen to them pretty quickly at summer league, they'll, they'll offer a deal. I mean, they've done it before, uh, but so, so will other teams <laughs> like, remember, it's not just the Spurs looking at the guys on their roster. It's every other team in the league. They're all watching every single summer league game because they can swoop in and offer a guy a, a, a contract, you know, the night that they just watched him in a summer league game. So too long, didn't read version. I would say that Jeffries at this point is the, is the front runner for odd man out. If that makes sense, front runner for odd man out. Congratulations. You win. You're gone. But yeah. I also sort of wanted to talk about the players who have left the roster. We saw Gorgie Jenks sign with the Atlanta Hawks, Trey Lyles sign with the Detroit Pistons, Patty sign with the Nets, and Rudy Gay sign with the Jazz. And, and I want to talk about three of these guys in particular, Patty, Rudy, and DeMar, you know, guys who have been veteran backbones of this team for a very long time. What was it like covering those guys? What was it like getting to know them as, as people? And what do you think the Spurs are sort of losing? Because they are valuable players in their own right. What do you think they're losing 
in terms of, you know, leadership, playmaking skills, what are they losing when those guys are heading to other teams? I mean, well, I think that, look, all three guys were obviously just consummate pros, all three guys. I think that clearly of the three, Patty is the one that stands out when it comes to his impact with the Spurs, 10 years with the Spurs, which is just crazy. I mean, the lockout season, he spent time in China and Australia and signed with the Spurs in March of that year. And it was just kind of one of those, hey, oh, here's Patty Mills. Like, he's actually kind of a fun player. Let's see how this goes. Like, an interesting signing. Couldn't have imagined that uh, 10 years – that was the first year I started covering the Spurs. So, like, I could not have even imagined – and, you know, looking back when he was signed, I couldn't imagine that it would have uh, become what it – his career, his legacy in San Antonio would become what it has. The dude was a pillar in the locker room, on the floor, his his – his role became synonymous with the Spurs. I mean, the, that the role that he played with them, his impact, his, he was, like I said, pillar in the locker room, pillar in the community. He bought into the Spurs culture wholehearted, wholeheartedly, not just from a basketball perspective, but from a communal perspective, from a leadership perspective, he was hugely impactful and I think like to the point that I think that it's likely his jersey is going to be retired in San Antonio. That would be something I'm sure would be up for debate. But considering the impact that he made in so many ways, not and not just on the basketball court, uh, it would not surprise me at all. I think it would actually I, I believe that it will happen. The other guys that they certainly didn't have the tenure that Patty had. They came in 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 very different circumstances. <laughs> DeRozan's being the most difficult and considering what considering the circumstances of DeRozan's arrival in San Antonio that dude was nothing but great for the Spurs he handled an incredibly difficult situation not just for him but like for the Spurs organization for the Spurs fan base like this is a guy who didn't want to leave Toronto he never knew he was on the trading block like he planned on playing alongside his his great friend Kyle Lowry and continuing to try and win in Toronto. And suddenly he's tossed out the door to San Antonio to a fan base that's hugely angry with the guy uh, departing, who's obviously because DeRozan's in the trade, they're going to try to hold him up to the standard that they put on Kawhi. So it's just this horrible situation to look. And these guys, you can't complain. They're, they're, they're getting paid a lot of money to do this job. And and all of that stuff, I understand. But there's also the human element of this. And he came into straight up a difficult situation and was nothing but professional. From the coaching staff to the young guys to everyone along the way, just always raved about his leadership, about the way that he would talk to the young players, help them prepare and teach them how to prepare for games, how to utilize practice, how to train in the offseason, all the little things that people don't really see behind the scenes that are super important when it comes to having veteran leadership on young teams. He, along with Rudy and obviously Patty, they filled those roles perfectly for San Antonio. They did exactly what they asked them, asked of them. And not just that, but they contributed you know, greatly on the floor. Who saw that like at this point in Rudy Gay's career that he'd still be doing this like this? I mean, this is a guy who I, it feels like ages ago was sort of the, the, 
bane of the analytics existence, you know? <laughs> and then suddenly he becomes, he just transforms his game and his role into this very, very valuable player, especially to teams who are not just contending teams, but to young teams who need that kind of veteran leadership because, um, and, and moving on to Rudy, Rudy was fantastic to cover. He was honest. Uh, he, uh, no bull bleep type of guy. He was always willing to talk. He was never a guy to, to shy away or push away players, media, anything like that. Like he was always willing to talk. He was always honest. It was a pleasure to cover him. You, you get a lot of guys in the league that you talk to who, even if they do talk, uh, you know, openly or, or willingly, I should say, to, to the media. And I, I hate making this stuff about the media, but I'm telling it from my perspective of some, as someone who's covered him. Like a lot of guys give canned answers. A lot of guys give cliche answers. They want to get in and out of the interviews. Rudy was never like that. Rudy answered questions as if they had been asked the first time. A lot of times, like he was, he was just very professional and, and open and honest with everybody along the way. And that was just cool. It's always, it's very, it's, you just, you really appreciate guys like that along the way because they're not all that common. So from all those perspectives, all three of those guys in their own sort of separate ways, just, just were great parts of that locker room, uh, great contributors on the court and off the court. None of them are, I mean, you could maybe argue that DeRozan's a superstar, but like these aren't these superstar type players that we, you know, fans in general will gravitate toward. They were very much role players. I mean, Rudy Gay and Patty Mills are the epitome of role player. Rudy was kind of projected early in his career to be something more than that, but he transformed into that, which is even uh, which is an even cooler thing to see. You don't see often guys who come from having that sort of elevated status to finding an entirely different role with a team that for a long time wasn't exactly this championship contender that a lot of guys at, the, at that point in their career would want to play for. So he, it, he was just great. And I, I keep using the word professional, but that's what they were, just consummate pros and really just great human beings a pleasure to be around just in general so uh they will be missed it's it is a business and it was time it's it's good that these young guys get the chance to take the reins but it's also really important that these young guys had the chance to come up around veterans like that because being successful in the nba isn't simply about your talent level and it's not simply about the minutes and the run that you get it's about learning every aspect of the game from the behind the scenes prep to video to just off season habits to any sort of habit along the way. And those things are difficult. If you just have the locker room full of just young guys, it's going to be difficult to learn it the same way you would. If you had guys like Gay, DeRozan, Mills, dudes who they respect, who have been around the block. Mills has won the title. These are guys who know how to play the game, know how to prepare for, prepare the, uh, for the game. They know how to win the game because a lot of times in the NBA, you get in the middle of a game. And I know that it sounds cliche when someone says this guy just knows how to win. Well, that, that is a real part of this game. There are so many situations throughout a, throughout the, uh, an NBA basketball game, especially when you get at the highest level in, in the games with the greatest stakes, 
where you need to understand how to approach certain situations. And if you have guys in the locker room that have experience in those situations and can pass that on to younger players and kind of show them the ropes and, and impart their knowledge, it is such a great help. And I know that the Spurs have truly appreciated that over the last several years. Thank you for sharing that with me. I really do appreciate you talking about your experience with them. And I agree with you. I think that what they have imparted on the young guys will be invaluable for them as they take the reins because that's what they're doing now. And, you know, at times I think we criticized not just the fans. I did as well. You know, you know, Rudy wasn't doing X, Y, Z or Patty wasn't doing X, Y, Z or DeMar wasn't doing X, Y, Z. And I think if I, if I have to be a hundred percent honest, I think sometimes they were put in a position that wasn't all that beneficial to them. They were asked to do more than they were probably capable of. DeMar is a fantastic player, but I think we've known for a while, he cannot be the number one you know, option on your offense, especially when he doesn't have a, a genuine number two, number three alongside him. Rudy Gay is someone who took a lot of offensive responsibilities, had to create at the end of shot clocks when they just ran out of options. Patty Mills is a guy who got a lot more shots, a lot more touches, especially at the end of last season when he didn't have that much rest. He was clearly tired. So all three of those guys I'm very appreciative for. Uh, it's a shame that as I'm coming into this industry that I never got a chance to talk to them. So I appreciate you talking to me about that experience because that is something that I look forward to in my career later on with these young guys as they grow. And I think it's just valuable to learn and, and for Spurs fans to hear it because these guys, like you said, are human beings. They are human beings and you know, they're emotional. They feel just like us. And I know that they're making millions of dollars to play a, a child's game essentially, but a lot of people care about that game. A lot of people care about this team and they care about their careers as well. So I really do appreciate you talking about that in particular. So before I let you go here, I just wanted to ask you one more question. So when you're thinking of general manager Brian Wright's vision of this positionless roster with the ability to play both in and outside the three-point line. Do you think he's accomplished that this offseason? And, you know, what are your feelings about this team moving forward? Like, what do you think they've positioned themselves to do? How optimistic are you about them, you know, making strides in the next couple of years? Well, like I said, I, I really do think that they've followed the, the outline of an approach that, that they that they entered with. I do think that they've created a more versatile, uh, more flexible roster, not just from the basketball perspective, but from a financial perspective. But, you know, he talks about positionless basketball. That doesn't mean, even though, <laughs> even though, you know, Spurs fans might joke that we're just, you know, building a team full of guards, you know, they, they went out and they brought in the, the McDermott's, the Collins, the Thaddeus Young, the Alfru Camino, you know, who knows how long, two or three of those guys are going to be part of this team, but who knows? They, they could be around for, for several years, obviously young and uh, Aminu are both on expiring deals. So we'll see what happens there next season. And obviously we'll see what happens this season. And, you know, there's always a potential one of them is traded or something like that. But, you know, I do think that they created a pretty well-rounded roster at each position. I think that they're not going to be lacking for depth necessarily at any position whether or not those guys are actually good <laughs> and and this thing all works out sure that remains to be seen but on paper from a roster building perspective you can see the vision sort of playing out and then well I think that first of all that for the for the first time in three years like for the first time really since the Kawhi Leonard trade I, I think we finally have an idea of where the Spurs are going 
because when they brought on DeRozan, you know, they planned on building a title contender around Kawhi. When the when they were pressured into this situation that they had to trade Kawhi, otherwise it was just going to be a complete disaster. They tried their best to bring on another dude who would be able to, in their eyes, hopefully keep them in that running to be able to contend. I don't. I think that if you put any of them on truth serum, that obviously maybe you wouldn't even have to do that. They probably <laughs> already knew that when they're bringing in Demar Derozan and Jakob Pertl for Kawhi Leonard, that that's just a huge hit to all their plans. It's going to affect them going forward. I mean, you also have to think about the fact that hey, we built this roster to be able to contend. I mean, you have Lamarcus Aldridge on the books for, as another you know max level guy on this team, so. It wasn't exactly like they were just going to be able to tear it down immediately. There was some planning that had to go into this. And then, you know, the rest of it played out. Clearly, they weren't a title contending team. There, It felt like there was a stagnancy period where it's like, so are they going to try to get rid of these deals now? Are they going to try to wait this out, draft well, hopefully these guys develop and maybe flip something for some assets or a better player, or are they going to tank it? Like, are they going to go full rebuild? It was just, I think that there were a lot of questions over the last three years. And now we know what they're doing. Like we haven't like, okay, this is the path. They are looking long-term ceiling. You, you look at the primo pick, you look at the fact that they're, they cleared enough space to go after a max guy. I'm, you know, a lot of fans are like, why didn't they make this trade or sign this guy? Look, 90% of the stuff that goes on behind closed doors, more than that, never sees the light of day. Like just because a move doesn't happen doesn't mean they didn't try. Doesn't mean they didn't discuss these options. Doesn't mean they were on the phone with teams constantly about this stuff. It just didn't work out. And that could be a money thing. And it sounds like with marketing, he was looking for more money. Collins, they cleared, I don't, it was no coincidence that between the Zach Collins and the Doug McDermott contracts, it, it put them right at the max slot remaining in their cap space. That's no coincidence. That's not an accident. They were trying to get something out of that. It didn't work out. And, you know, you look at John Collins, I think that uh, most people in the know felt that Collins would be re-signing with the Hawks all along. The Ben Simmons stuff is really interesting. I don't know where that's going to go from here. I honestly just, I have no clue. I, I kind of feel like if, if I had to <laughs> forecast that, I don't think the Spurs are going to be in that mix, but who knows? They could be, and it would be a very interesting pick. It would kind of go a little bit <laughs> against what I think they're doing at this point by suddenly trading these guys away, even though Ben Simmons is a young guy, still on contract, like I get all that, but it still would be really, really interesting if they did that. But no, I, I think that, yeah, I, I think that there is a vision that's outlined now. Like, I think that there's a runway, there's a path that you can, that you can tangibly feel and see ever since the Kawhi deal. So in that vein, I think now that Spurs fans can kind of grasp like, okay, here we are. Like, it's not just going to be this up in the air frustration for a lot of them that it has been the last three years, not really understanding what they're doing, kind of pulling in all different directions. Now, this is what you have. This is the, this is, this is the layout. So obviously pending any major deals that could happen that I don't feel like will happen, but you never know. 
this is the path that's laid out in front of them. The Spurs have a pretty clear direction now. That is, as I said earlier, youth, versatility, cap flexibility, long-term ceiling. That's where they're going with all of this. That's how they said they were going to go approach the offseason. And they've, like I said, followed that to a T thus far. Well, thank you so much, Matthew, for sharing your insight with me and taking time to sit down with me. Before I let you go, go ahead and let everybody know where they can follow you on social media, where they can find your content, anything that you're working on right now. Sure, yeah. Um, right now you can find me at uh, matthewtynan.substack.com uh, as well as on Twitter at Matthew underscore Tynan. Um, yeah, that's the best place to find me right now. There might be some more coming and in the works before the season starts, but those would be the best places to find me. And I appreciate you having me on, man. Well, thanks again, Matthew. And thanks to everyone who tuned in for this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've got a fantastic staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock who do an amazing job of keeping everyone up to date with their favorite team. So check our stuff out. But until next time, Spurs fans, take care.